All right. Well, thank you for joining us. In this episode, we sit down with Obi Morgan, founder of Capital at Play. We get into all sorts of stuff, primarily around the idea that everyone today is a publishing company. Before we get into it, let's listen to a soundbite from Obi. And if any one of those three legs of the stool are missing, you're going to quit at some point. Like it's just, it's destined for failure um, over a long enough timeline. And so I figure if you own the business, you better like the product. If you don't, I don't know who you could talk to, but you're probably the person to change it. So let's kick, that's a given. So you have to have two other things. You got to make some money and you got to have some fun. I mean, a business can't exist. We have this thing, I, I find some people don't like to talk about the fact that they're in business to make money, but it's very much like I'm getting out of bed every day to eat breakfast. Is that my raison d'etre? No. But if I don't eat breakfast or eat lunch or at least eat dinner, it's going to be a short trip, you know? So you have to make money. Like, I don't care whether you like it, whether you're not comfortable with it, whatever. It's the way of the world. Um, and you have to have some fun. So it's capital at play. Welcome to Making It in Nashville, a podcast where you get to hear the stories behind some of your favorite local artists and businesses here in town. Each episode, we interview a different local Asheville and we find out what they're doing, how they're making it in Asheville, and we work to uncover actionable insights and lessons that you can then apply to your own work, life, and business. And we are your hosts. That was Sarah. I am Tony. We are a husband and wife team that moved to Asheville in May of 2019. I love how that rhymes. Me too. <laughs> uh, and since then, we really, we set out to answer the question, how does one make it in Asheville? This podcast has been the result. We've now interviewed, I don't know, almost, probably almost 50 people. We're in the 40s easily of uh, podcast guests, of entrepreneurs, artists, makers here in Asheville. And this episode is a very special episode. We sit down with Obi Morgan, who founded Capital at Play, which is, if you haven't held one in your hands, one of the most beautiful business magazines that mm -hmm. we have. We have a stack of them just here behind us. And um, we were very excited to share some of the stories and lessons from that episode and that conversation with you. But first, let's do a quick little... Uh, sponsor from our uh, local sponsor here in Asheville, Range Urgent Care. Range is a, a walk-in clinic here in town, and they are owned and founded by a husband and wife team. Um, the things that we love about Range is that they are transforming and really reimagining the way that healthcare is typically done for a walk-in clinic. Um, and so they offer things like virtual visits. You can actually schedule your appointments that you don't have to wait when you get there. Um, completely transparent pricing so you know exactly what you're going to pay, as well as subscription membership. So you can pay a set amount every single month and know that you can walk in and get a certain number of visits and have your health care covered. Yeah. And what we're hearing is that that's fantastic for people like me who might be more injury prone or risk uh, tolerant, uh, knowing that every month I'm paying $30 and I can go to them anytime that I need for um, support, service, help. That is a, I think, a sigh of relief when the alternative can be a gigantic check from a emergency clinic and there is a difference certainly between emergency room care and things that are you know require emergency rooms and things that are urgent care uh, applicable and 
I find myself in most need of urgent care support, not ER support. And so it's a, a beautiful thing. If you're interested in learning more, visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range. We have more information about um, range urgent care and some of the subscription offers that they uh, provide. If you sign up using making it in Asheville as a coupon code on the range site or use any of the links from our website to subscription plans, you will save the first month's worth of the subscription plan. And that's fantastic, especially if you're a small business with a bunch of employees you want to offer this to. That savings adds up real quick. Yeah, absolutely. So one more time, making it in Asheville.com forward slash range to read more about it. So a little bit more about this episode. Uh, as you know, we are interviewing Obi Morgan, who is the founder of Capital at Play. And I think just about everybody here in Asheville uh, is pretty familiar with Capital at Play, but just in case you're not, it is a fantastic uh, editorial magazine, print 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 magazine, um, that interviews and has long format articles with local businesses here in town. So we were really, really excited to be able to talk with Ovi because clearly we have a lot of overlap between our own podcasts and what he's been doing for years, Um, but also just really interesting to talk about being in the media industry. Yeah, three of the, the, when we were talking about how we would talk about this episode, three of the things that came up was one, everyone, uh, in Obi's language, everyone's a publisher today. Mm-hmm. In our words, we think that everyone's a media company. The essence is the same. So it's like, how do we think about the ideas of constantly publishing content and in a world where content is constantly changing? And so uh, Obi went print, and I think it's an incredible uh, story and strategy of like, the blind ambition that's the second idea blind ambition necessary to start Mm -hmm. a project like that uh we've heard it if we've heard it once we've heard it i don't know dozens of times now that if they if our guests had known how much work it would take to do what they've done they Mm -hmm. might not have started yeah and so we we kind of poll Obi on what he's seen from interviewing many different entrepreneurs and, and talking with many different entrepreneurs in town on what he thinks is kind of that X factor for that entrepreneur. Um, and so one of them is blind ambition, but we talk a lot more about it in the episode. So I don't want to spoil yeah. and too the, much. the last <laughs> note is the idea that in addition to blind ambition, it's a choice. Uh, most entrepreneurs are choosing to be optimistic uh, and we we see that as well in almost all of our interview guests and in all of his past interviews and, and articles, the entrepreneurs that stand out as, um, you know, successful amongst the, the masses are those who follow, you know, their ambition almost blindly, choose to be optimistic um, and think about their business oftentimes as a media company, constantly telling stories. So it, the one last thing I'll add is that it's interesting that because... Uh, Obi himself started a business and went through all experienced all of these things so we talk about you know the fact of starting a media company but mm-hmm. also his observations of other entrepreneurs so it's like this like double whammy of entrepreneurship and uh, certainly from our perspective we see the the journey that capital at play has taken from you know an idea 10 years ago to a uh, institution locally and that is uh, it's a incredibly I would say inspiring story for us to see what is possible when you just are consistent and persistent. So without further ado, let's hop into episode 56 with Obi Morgan, founder of Capital at Play. 
Obi, thanks for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what's happening in your world today. Uh, sure. I'm Obi Morgan. I, uh, in at least the Asheville area, I'm notably the publisher of the only business publication, uh, Capital at Play magazine. I started that in 2010 when I was uh, still in college, I guess. That's crazy. And um, I don't know, guys. You're going to have to focus me. Forgive me. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's a that's great perfect. That's a great answer. So today we're talking about building, as I see it, a, a media company, Capital at Play. When we showed up, was the business is the business proper media company in Asheville. We have loved it. We have a whole stack of them in our uh, little library here. And <laughs> so that's we're, all, yes. we're collectors. We're, we're collectors. <laughs> we're readers. Uh, we've used... Um, some of the like the ad spots and the stories to source who we've tried to meet and connect with in the city. So uh, Capital at Play is a, is a perfect answer. And, and thank you for, for going there. That's what we we're asking. Uh, I guess, I mean, we can talk about what's happening in Capital at Play today. We could start at the beginning. You said you started it in college. What is it like saying, I'm going to start a print magazine in college? Or did you not think specifically print magazine? Like, what were the first thoughts? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a fair question. I think I wasn't thinking of it as a, I mean, I was thinking of it as a print magazine because there's something really nice about print and especially print done well, something that's really tactile and pleasing to touch, you know, especially when that's not as common. I think it carries a little more weight and means a little bit more, but no, I, I don't think I ever really felt like we were pigeonholed insofar as being in print any more than we wanted to be, right? Um, like it's a, it's a wonderful medium for the style of content that the magazine itself is based around, which are these long form interviews with entrepreneurs and it's sort of evergreen, which is nice. It's, it's going to be maybe not as relevant, but certainly mostly relevant even a year or two later. So print's a nice format for it, but uh, it's more about the content, right? I mean, um, I guess, I don't know where I could think of the best example, but I guess like radio, is probably the best example because now I see radio stations have they, they do what you're doing right I mean this is like a typical radio style interview but mm -hmm. we're recording video and that's gonna be posted right and you could take the same thing and have a transcript of it written down so the medium for the content is less relevant these days right it's more about the nature of it and the subject matter and how it gets delivered just insofar that it suits the listeners needs Sure. Yeah. And so tell Does us that, that makes sense. Like it's a huge topic to talk about. So I'm, I'm not trying to just like, you know, sound so amorphous. Yeah, I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting topic because we, we kind of tend to, I think, lean on podcasting or audio because we, we feel like that's how people are tuning in these days. And they're, they're, you know, they don't have time to read, which is not true because I think there are people out there that still enjoy sitting down with their magazine or their newspaper in the morning with their coffee and reading it. Um, but it is interesting just seeing the trend towards other forms of, of medium. So I guess that's a, a question for you is like, have you noticed things changing and shifting at Capital Up Play um, in terms of mediums that are consumed? Well, I mean, in the last eight weeks, Tremendously so. I'm, yeah. I mean, obviously, people aren't out and about in the same ways that they were um, even in January or February. So very different in 
that regard, and um, we're finding new avenues for distribution, uh, ones that are actually, I think, extremely, like they're, they're going to stay. They're, they're going to stick with us. Um, like Mother Earth Produce mm-hmm. puts one in their deliveries, and that sort of thing. And so that, mm-hmm. that, that kind of stuff is a whole new channel that we would have never explored otherwise. Um, also, digital is just a, I mean, look, that's why we don't write letters anymore. I mean, that, that's probably the, the real thought that I had way back then about print is like, okay, news, information transfer, digital is the way to go. I don't write anyone a letter and put it in the mail. I send them an email because it's instantaneous. And yeah. that's, you need that efficiency. Uh, you need that immediate transfer of time-sensitive information. But with something like a profile on an entrepreneur and why they get out of bed and do what they do every day and the trials and tribulations of their journey and lessons learned, uh, that I don't need that instantly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Take the time to do something a little more and to put it into print and to produce it and, and distribute it that way. So, you know, I, I think it just depends on the importance of it and what you're sure. what you're trying to say. You all are, are very familiar with this. I mean, you know, you guys probably have a lot of opinions about this as, as creatives yourself. Uh, you're into podcasts because you can do other things at the same time, presumably. I mean, what, what do you think? I, I got a got a hand raised there. You like to yeah. read, so. Well, I mean, I think. I, well, a, I don't think we thought about it too much before we came to Asheville. It wasn't like we like did research and we were like, oh, you know, you know, no one is doing a podcast about businesses. I don't know. We didn't we didn't look at Capital Play and say, well, we're not going to do written because Capital Play is doing it or something like that. Um, we, I think we just felt like it was fun and the best medium for us because we like to talk and then have that, you know, physical interaction with someone. I think it's a fair answer. I would say that we chose this medium because no one gets, uh, at least with the two of us, no one gets speaker's block. And uh, a conversation that takes 90 minutes uh, likely will have some gems in it and jewels in it that can be harvested and and shared. And uh, there's likely going to be a relationship that's the result of 90 minutes of thoughtful conversation. Mm -hmm. And so it was the lowest barrier to entry on creating something meaningful that uh, might have staying power to your point that is not just news right we're not we didn't get into tweeting when we arrived here we got into a longer form meaningful conversation and so um and and just kind of committed and so it's one thing to have a to have a zero barrier uh like medium which is podcasting right all you need is some of the tools ours are slightly more sophisticated than a cell phone, right? But I can record a conversation with you and put it on the internet with no barriers. So there's a zero barrier platform, which is podcasting, right? You need uh, servers, let's say. High barrier platform of thoughtful, long form printed material from concept to first edition. What kind of things can you remember coming up as like major roadblocks or issues or uh learnings in the early days yeah uh nice segue there so i think that's you said it well right it's it's a tremendously expensive thing to produce and so that's a certain barrier there for sure but it it seemed like an important thing that well, so the time that we were selling, we, we were pre-selling advertising is not 
probably drastically different from where we are now or where we're going shortly, um, economically speaking. And so and to this go was out around sell, date stamp 2010, 2009. Yeah, 2010. We started started selling the advertising around June of 2010. Okay. Am I getting that right? When did we launch? It's so funny. Like it would be totally clear to think about. Yeah, we launched in September of 2000. No, September 2011. Okay. Jesus, I don't quote me. I don't do, even know. How, dates. How, how I don't. I, I don't like, do dates. I don't do dates. Um. Anyway, I think it was yeah. September of 2011. So okay. we started in June selling advertising. And we knew we had to hit a certain goal, um, how much we needed to pre-sell so that we could just afford to put this thing out mm-hmm. and you know have me be chief cook and bottle washer and not starve to death. And um, finding a good printer, you know, it, it's not as – you would think it would just be really easy. Like you pick the paper and – you're, you have them printed, right? But it's it's like everyone, I didn't even realize there were things that they call office copies. And office copies, like if you're going to have a run of 10,000 or 100,000, whatever, uh, they're not all perfect. And there's tolerances that are acceptable and unacceptable. And I don't know, you'd just be surprised at how perfection is not a given and that you can't expect every copy to be perfect. I mean, I just got a, a message from someone uh last week and it was like a yellow streak through a page like that was serious i'd never see that um but it's probably on 20 copies like that's just the way these machines work and understanding it and so you got to find somebody who can work on this who's actually got a tolerance for perfection that matches yours you know it's like it's just very funny you know you would think that like every copy is perfect yeah, I mean, I've never seen like an ESPN, the magazine or a Bon Appetit with a yellow streak down the middle. And so you just no. there's an assumption that it can't be that hard to make perfect printed things, which is I know that's not true because print, any printer that anybody's ever interacted with has effed up tons of times and no one knows totally. how to use it. And there's always an issue. So how would there not be issues when you scale yeah. it up to even more important stuff? Yeah, I mean, they have them. I mean, the machine, it's really cool to do a walkthrough uh, on the press. I mean, this one that we use right now is like the size, half the size of a football field. It's a $60 million machine. (laughs) And like when they bought this machine last year, two years ago, and I went and saw them install it at our printer, um, they had a team from Heidelberg, from Germany, that was living with them for, I think, two months to make sure it was getting up and running. Uh, we can do a run of 10,000 magazines on it in about 15 minutes. Wow. And, you know, they have people watching it and, like, cameras scanning it, and, like, it's a it's it's a crazy operation. So, I mean, yeah, just there's something fun about that and, and different and interesting, and, you know, it's not... There's a barrier there, but, uh, I don't know, there's something nice about that, too. But and it extends to all these different mediums at the end of the day, right? Sorry, I think you might have a, a thought there. No, I was just going to say, like, so were you in a like a college newspaper, and you're like, we can do this at our college. I can do this in Asheville. <laughs> like, what? Because uh, it's one thing to have an idea, and it just it, call it my assumption, but I, it seems, it seems like a large step to go from. I enjoy, and this is my assumption, I enjoy long-form, thoughtful pieces about entrepreneurs and their stories to I'm going to print uh, a physical magazine 
uh, with incredible photography and is paid for by advertising. Um, and it's going to start a year from now. Like that is a big step. And so, uh, like, do you come from a publisher family? Do you, uh, did you just Google where's the nearest printer for magazines? Like how do what does even step one look like? Oh, that's, that's a fair question. Okay. So my, um, my, my dad and my parents are, are in publishing okay. and not in this kind of publishing at all, but, um, they don't come from that background either. And so my dad was in furniture manufacturing for his whole life into his fifties. Um, and then decided to, well, obviously the bottom fell out on manufacturing in North America in a lot of ways in the late nineties. And so that stopped and he shut it down and I'd had a great career, but he's, he's really, he did a very good job. I would say both my parents did a good job of instilling a certain sense of irreverence in me, which probably has driven a lot of people nuts, um, especially educators around me. Um, you know, but regardless of, of the gray hairs, I, I given those people, those folks, uh, kind, kind people they were, but, um, I wouldn't look at it and say like, Oh, I don't know how to do that. So I can't do it. Like, why? I don't know. I mean, it's how hard can it be? Like you, you literally just start calling. You're like, okay, well, we need to find someone who can print really high quality, um, magazine. Like, okay, well, what kinds are there? Well, there's some that have, have an actual edge and a binding, and there are some that are just stapled. Well, okay, I've seen those stapled ones. They're not that fancy looking. I mean, that seems like that's, I mean, it's important that it actually, that you cross that barrier to launch something that looks good and that feels good because if you want to be taken seriously, it needs to look like something that's serious. And at the same time, we want it to be fun and beautiful. And, you know, do you want all that stuff to show through? Actually, I remember in our prototypes, we, uh, because you can't go out and sell advertising with like a poster board. I mean, really look like you, sorry, I'm beating on the table here. Um, it will look like you just, you know, just came out of a classroom, like for a presentation, you know, I don't want something that's on like, it's not supposed to be my vision board. It's, it's a magazine that I want you to spend money on advertising. Mm -hmm. So we did real stories and had real photos and it was a real publication, got real ads um, for free from people to put them together. And actually, we were getting 50 copies printed, which is a, a crazy expensive to just do 50 copies. It's like the same cost as doing like 5,000. Sure. Um, but it had to have something real. Um, and I remember getting them back, going down and picking them up from a printer we found within about an hour drive. Um, and they had just trimmed like, I don't know, an extra three quarters of an inch off and kind of like shrunk it. And they were like, well, you told us these are just your prototypes, right? And I was like, no, they're your prototypes now. Um, like, I don't want something that's close. I need something that is, you know, and, and that kind of illustrating the point about, I mean, the printing industry is probably ripe for, well, actually it has in the last decade consolidated a lot because a lot of the small printers have, have shuttered. Um, it's really, really competitive and tough industry, but um, yeah. What, what was yeah, the inspiration? Yeah, you just blind ambition, blind ambition to answer your original question. Yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't think I would have had a, a daughter um, 17 months ago if I really knew what it would take. And it's great. And it's a challenge every day. But, you know, if you knew what it would take to do something, would you really do it? Like, really? Totally. 
Yeah. If we've heard that once. Yeah, over we've heard that <laughs> so many times from different people we've interviewed and talked to. Yeah. And they're just like, you just don't know. And you just do it. And then you realize all the hard things, but also wonderful things about it. Um, but like, what what was the inspiration for the topic of this magazine? I mean, did you were you just always fascinated by entrepreneurs? Um, what did you study at school? Like, where where did you get this idea? Oh, that's a good question. So I've definitely always been fascinated by business, and I grew up uh, around people who had small businesses, and my parents' friends and my friends' parents, and you hear these conversations around the Disney, uh, around the, around the dinner table, right? I mean, the work doesn't stop just because you go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of what you're thinking about all the time, especially when you are you know, at the helm, right? Mm-hmm. And I also really liked case studies in, uh, I think, business strategy, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And uh, this teacher actually would just make us read the Wall Street Journal. And we would go through and break down what different businesses were doing based on what we could learn and understand there. And he had other case studies and modules and stuff. But I really enjoyed just learning about these businesses. And I thought this would be a fun way to continue that. Um I had a really interesting teacher. Uh, this must have been junior year or something like that. It was a retired CEO of what was at the time the largest pastry manufacturer in North America. And uh, he really had, uh, I think I can say this, um, he wouldn't mind, had no idea how to put together like a, a syllabus or a quiz. He had wealth of knowledge, though. I mean, he had started as like a salesperson and become their head of sales and uh, actually come up with some inventions and acquired a couple patents along the way. And I think a really interesting guy. He retired and just wanted to give back. But I, he and I just basically spent the first semester that he was there just talking in class. Like he'd tell a story and I'd just start talking with him and we'd just start talking. And there'd be these great things that you could learn by, I mean, it was the same stuff that I enjoyed talking with people that were in business in a casual sense this is the best story that could sum up the lesson you can learn from context as opposed to the theory of a textbook. Um, and forgive me, this is probably not a polite story, but it's true. And that's the best part about it. Um, they had a huge problem with shrink in their shipping from Charlotte to Charleston. And he was the head of sales that had something to do with looking after that. Um, shrink being like a loss on their product that was, um, and they couldn't figure out why they used independent truckers. The truckers would stop for lunch. Um, you can't tell them when to work. That's the nature of an independent relationship. Um, but it's not really a problem. They go into the restaurant, they turn off their truck and the refrigeration unit to save gas. And they come back out 30 minutes later and they hit the road and everything's good. But on this particular stretch of I 26, if you're familiar, there are, uh, a number of establishments, uh, you know, there's strip clubs, a lot of them. And when you stop for lunch at a strip club, you don't go in for 30 minutes. You go in for like an hour and 30 minutes. And that's a long time to leave a truck off and the refrigeration unit off. And so all he, the only, only way he could figure this out was to literally park himself on the side of the road and look for their trucks and follow them and see what was going on. And then all they had to do was pick up some uh, stops in Atlanta, route the traffic that way, and they solved the problem. But it's like, that's not a textbook solution. That's (laughs) hilarious and fascinating. And like, you've got to just be there to 
to see that, you know, and like, that's a problem he didn't know how to approach, but like, okay, well, what do I do? I'll go, let's go see what they're doing. Sort of just like, how do you start a magazine? Well, you need photos and words. Okay. What are they going to be about? Okay. Well, where are you going to put them? Okay. And you just, you know, start. Yeah. I don't know. Um, So those kinds of, those lessons are great. I love that, you know, counterintuitive. I think we all like a little bit of that sort of surprise element of like, I don't know, solutions that are out of the box, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that kind of thing got me fascinated with just learning about business. I was like, this is great. I could literally do that all day. Just learn about this all the time. So I think the, the, the print part of it being a print magazine was really just a way to connect with the kind of audience. And it seemed like a good way to go because I didn't want to sell something at the time. I don't know. I mean, it seems like now you could totally launch a, a fully digital magazine and have a great audience. And you know, there's a lot of benefits to that. But uh, at the time, this just seemed like the right way to go. And I know it's funny, like I look back and you have like all of these covers and all of these editions and it's cool to have it in print. Uh, I don't know if it would have been a, a print publication if it was started today. It's a good question, though. You yeah. didn't ask that. That's what I'm asking myself. Like, <laughs> would, would we have done it that way? I don't know. And, Maybe. Well, so, I mean, one of the things that stands out for me, and I, I see in some small way similarity between uh, what you've done and what we have just set out on, is that it, it stands as some, I would say, substantial enough difference from what exists right so like all of the you know the magazines that that exist in for like grab this in a space in Asheville like of them there are two that are beautiful one is yours uh, and everything else has a you know a staple bound and it's like printed on sort of newspaper paper and it's okay and I'm sure that they sell a bunch of ads too but like yours is the beautiful one uh capital that play like spoke to us when we showed up there weren't many that we grabbed we grabbed that um and so i i think that it stands as a pattern break uh, aside from what's normal having a uh, imagine a cold email that goes out to some entrepreneur or another saying hey this is this beautiful product that we put out it's quarterly like uh, gq you probably could pin magazines that you're like um, you get a yes versus, Hey, I have a blog or, Hey, I have this, uh, Instagram account, which might not have been even a plausible conversation 10 years ago, but like, it's just so different. Like there were plenty of bloggers in 2009, like interviewing people about business. There wasn't anything that promised to be world-class, you know, best in class as a business publication, I imagine in the region, uh, or at least in uh, Western North Carolina. How, yeah. did, how did the name Capital at Play come to you? Because that always struck me as well as a, a great name for a publication. Thank you. Uh, it was circuitous, actually. I just found another cover that I mocked up uh, with a, a, a fellow, actually, uh, an ex-Disney Imagineer. Um, uh childhood friend of mine's dad who actually was in town and ended up crashing on my couch for like a week and we worked on another name and like a whole design and like it's just funny how the name thing goes uh and actually i i have something my dad has it i gave it to him because he kind of 
it's like, you know, I, I don't know. This is going to be like, I'm sorry to sputter, but it was such a weird, I don't know exactly how we got there, but I knew that it had to be. So he has this philosophy. Uh, maybe it's not his, but it's like, if you're in sale, everybody's in sales, right? Basically, yeah. you're, you're selling something somewhere to somebody. At the very least, we're selling content that we want someone to listen, right? There's a cost of time to, to pay for it, but um, and maybe they need to give you their email address. But regardless, uh, you're all selling something. And to be good in sales, you need to have three things. This is David Morgan philosophy here. You have to like the product. If you don't like the product, it's really hard. People will tell, you know, it's, it's at some point that'll shine through and it'll be a problem. Um, you got to make some money because otherwise you, well, you can't live or eat or whatever. So, you know, that's just like an essential, you know, gas in the tank kind of thing. And you got to have some fun because if you don't have any fun, everything kind of takes more work than you really think it's going to take. So if you don't enjoy it, that's really an uphill battle. And if any one of those three legs of the stool are missing, you're going to quit at some point. Like it's just, it's destined for failure um, over a long enough timeline. And so I figure if you own the business, you better like the product. If you don't, I don't know who you could talk to, but you're probably the person to change it. So let's kick, that's a given. So you have to have two other things. You got to make some money and you got to have some fun. I mean, a business can't exist. We have this thing. I, I find some people don't like to talk about the fact that they're in business to make money, but it's very much like I'm getting out of bed every day to eat breakfast. Is that my raison d'etre? No. But if I don't eat breakfast or eat lunch or at least eat dinner, it's going to be a short trip, you know? So you have to make money. Like, yeah. I don't care whether you like it, whether you're not comfortable with it, whatever. It's the way of the world. Um, and you have to have some fun. So it's capital at play. And we had capitalism at play. I mean, you'll notice capitalism is a, is a major theme of it. And I felt like it was really important to stand that ground a little bit. I don't know why. Maybe that's like an idyllic 22-year-old kind of a thing to like really have something you want to hold like that. But um, it is. It's, it's the most – I think I can – I would defend it if someone challenged it. Like it's got to be the most – fair socioeconomic philosophy the world has ever seen. I'm not talking about unfettered capitalism. I'm not talking about like free market, everything. I'm just saying the notion of capitalism where you decide what business you want to start and you're able to go and capture whatever value you can create by that. Uh, that's amazing. That That's a wonderful thing. And I feel like that's really important to acknowledge because if we allow maybe 4% of the private sector economy to co-opt that word to mean you know, something that brings up visions of a monocle and a top hat, um, you know, and, and I guess I'm describing monopoly. Here, but <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, that's not, yeah, the monopoly man. That's, that's not a, that, that's not fair. We need that word to describe what we do as a small business, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. being allowed to go and start a business that you want, you know, I, I don't know why, but a hairdresser still requires more hours of continuing education than an EMT in North Carolina. So I don't know why, but I feel like, that's maybe I'm not right about that. Don't quote me on it, but I'm just saying those kinds of regulations are maybe less helpful to business, but I don't know, maybe it's really important. So I'm not, I'm not advocating for unfettered capitalism, but it's important to like understand what you do and have a word to describe it. So we wanted that to be a part of it. But the problem is when you have capitalism at play, the yeah. words get really narrow. They get like really short. Sure. You know, it's like too many characters on something that's, 10 and no, nine inches wide. Um, so you had to shorten that. And I have this thing. I gave it back to my dad. He actually 
being the savvy graphic designer he is, cut out letters to like work on this one night when we were like stuck. And uh, it looks like a ransom note. So I framed it up and you know what I mean? Like the yeah. cut out letters and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how we came up with the name. But uh, I would say in hindsight, don't put the word at in your name because it just makes telling people your email address a pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but aside from that, I think we we hit the you know we did pretty well. Aside yeah. from that, with, with coming up with it, oh uh, <laughs> capital at play at, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good lesson there. And oh, if there's yeah. a single soundbite from the entire thing, it's don't put at in your business name. Um, no, but that's well, the uh, other one for printer. I'll give you is don't put yellow in your logo. Heard. Interesting. We have yellow in our logo yeah, in, in our business logo. Yeah. Tell us about the yellow in the logo. Give me more. It just sucks for contrast. It doesn't yeah, play well. You're if you're right. trying to overlay a color on a photo, which we do on covers every month, yellow is a nightmare. Heard. It's not yeah. quite dark enough and it's not quite light enough. And we, I don't know, I, I, I stuck with it for a long time and then we started to change it. But just one of those things. I had like a printer tell me after a while, like when I was complaining why it didn't show up, he's like, yeah, I mean, yellow is just the worst, man. And I was like, what? And he like went into this whole thing. I was like, oh, okay. okay. Color theory so, is this whole wild world that I've... Uh, well, it's not even like color theory because like the color yellow is like nice and true or whatever. Nothing wrong with yeah. that. But it's the, it's I understand what you're saying. Like we, we experience it with uh, like a lot of the buttons on our website are yellow because I want it to be bright and stand out and people to click them. But the text overlay is good. white and because black looks like black and yellow. Like, no, it doesn't look like us. Stealing. And so it just is really hard to read. So I hear you. <laughs> yeah i mean i hate to say it like that's just one of those you know but you don't know till you know so. yeah yeah well dang i mean i that's a that's a great story about uh coming to capital at play i think also it's you know for what it's worth capital at play is more while the letters fit better on nine inches of you know with i think it's slightly more welcoming than capitalism at, at play though oh, it's yeah. champion it's championing the same ideals or concept um and i love how those are the two legs on the stool of like what makes a uh you know salesperson successful aka a business successful um that's even better than i could have hoped for i thought um perfect answer a uh, a question as you went through the like I'm imagining tasty cakes or entomins, but it doesn't necessarily matter. Are there other <laughs> stories that have stood out to you in the last ten years? Whether it be some uh, in depth pieces that you've written about local businesses, um, just can I, can yeah, I interrupt you? Because yeah. I just well one of the questions that I had, and, and I think this would segue really nice into okay. that. But is who were the first people that you interviewed in Asheville? Yeah, who said yes first? That's a great place to start. Oh, that's a really... Oh, actually, I couldn't be happier to say uh, it was Oscar Wong, um, Highland Brewing. Yeah. And that was yeah. like... So we produced a, a mock-up version. Uh, you know, we had had to have some copies to sell with and mm -hmm. prove to ourselves we could do this, actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first writer we had working with us was a fellow by the name of Bill Fishburne and Bill still writes our real estate article every year. Um, he, he's done like everything. He used to run his family's or, or helped run his family's tobacco drying business, uh, which is a huge employer up here for a long time. Uh, Fishburne International, he was a, let's see, an editor for Car and Driver. He used to race Sobs. He, uh, 
I think he has like over 10,000 jumps out of an airplane. Uh, he, he had a talk radio show. Um, he's like the guy is the kind of person, if you need like a thousand words to add it to the article, call him and tell him like, I need another thousand words. Be like, okay, give me an hour, like done. Um, but he was in rotary with Oscar and, so he asked him if he could do this interview with, with him because um, I was hiring Bill to do this. And uh, that's the only thing, that's the only job I've never actually done is write the stories. Because I would queue up the people by getting a pre-interview and setting the stage and making notes for the writer. and like. But it's such a different side of your brain to write than it is to do the other nine things that it would just be... I don't know. Didn't really have the time. Uh, you know, you can't do it while you're trying to manage a business. I, at least I can't. My brain doesn't write well under pressure in that way. Um, but anyways, yeah, Oscar Wong was the first one we did for the prototype edition, and that ended up going into the first edition. Uh, so that's kind of interesting, thinking of how far they've come, actually. Yeah, I love that. We we interviewed Leah. Uh, Season two? Yeah, in the fall, I think it was. Um, and it was just, it was so interesting to hear their story and how long they've been around and just the impact that they've had here in Asheville and, and her talk about Oscar as well. And so interesting. Yeah. I'd that was his like retirement and... job, right? Yeah. I mean, that wasn't even a real thing. Uh, it, it wasn't meant to be a career, I guess. I, I still remember what he said stuck with me in the interview that I thought was just interesting. He said, this brewery is like a 50 foot dinosaur and it's like a 50 foot dinosaur because you can't let it die. Because what do you do with a dead 50-foot dinosaur in your backyard? But you can't really afford to feed this thing either. I thought that was an interesting perspective on manufacturing. That's so a strong uh, metaphor. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I, I, one of the things that's standing out for me, I'm like, where is, how does this translate to other people in early phases of their business? Um, and with the idea specifically of your starting this project it's one thing to be able to sit down and communicate well and say, here's my idea. It's another thing to have a physical version, though it's a prototype, but a physical version that says, this is what it's going to look like, or this is what I've already done. It's no longer conceptual at that point. It's very practical, physical, real. Um, and what we found was, you know, our early podcast guests were, you know, let's call it one degree of separation from us, either uh, what few friends we already had before arriving to town or people that we more or less were employing through our wedding process who like probably felt obligated. But because those early people said yes, uh, we had a season two that we could say, hey, look back at the work that we've done. This is what we're doing. And so um, do you think that you could have gotten your first advertisers or your first um sponsors or what, whatever the 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 revenue would be if you had not gone through that first print uh run probably not i mean you don't ever know yeah. but i would say i feel like it was so important to have something like that and when i think of a couple of our first sales I mean, people buying behavior is just a funny thing anyways, which uh, I don't want to go down that whole rabbit hole, but I just sort of went reminiscing for a second there. It's like people either bought because they just liked you and, you know, saw this kid sitting here and like, okay, sure, we'll try it. You know, I guess we'll see where this goes. Um, or they sat there and like read 
the damn thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was Forest Commercial Bank at the time. Uh, the president of the bank was just sitting there and like he basically just opened it up and like read it for like 20 minutes. Like you just sit there like, okay, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then, then he bought it at full page ad. He's like, is the back or is the inside back cover available? He said, okay, I'll take that for a year. Wow. Like, you know, but, uh, probably couldn't have, I don't know. Yeah. Really hard to, hard to say, but, um, I definitely know that, I mean, and you will probably know this well, it's hard to literally get a free interview with someone. Like I'm not charging people for the articles and I'm saying, Hey, I just want to tell people that, why you do what you do. I just think it's interesting. You might be an interesting person and to have someone like run you out of their store because they think you're trying to sell them something is bizarre. But (laughs) I mean, I guess there's a certain amount of faith that goes into someone representing you well. And and over time that became a lot easier to, you know, now when we call someone and say, we'd like to do a a profile on you they're they have an expectation. They're excited. They, they, they actually want to do it. Um, as opposed to, I think the way I thought about it is, I mean, especially as a single 20 something in Asheville, it's like, it's like trying to get a date just to get, to let them have a writer talk to them so I can print pages of free publicity yeah. for these people. It's like, yeah. I don't know, not easy. Yeah, so, there's a trust factor when you, when you don't have anything to show for it yet. I think yeah. that's the hardest part is just starting out and getting, like you said, that first interview, that first uh, advertiser to say yes because they have nothing to go on. They're just leaving their faith. Yeah. So, what was your first one? So, we've only just now got our first uh, sponsor after uh, the better part of a year of putting out a podcast and it's Range Urgent Care. Um, and that came as, you know, one degree of separation. We put out mm-hmm. feelers who might be a good fit uh, to be a, a sponsor in the community that. You know, any person would be a good customer type for them. And we had a, a short list that came up. They were the first people that we talked to. And uh, it was just a, a number of human conversations. And we're very excited about it. We just, uh, over the weekend, this past weekend, we got word that um, their new location's first business. Uh, so there's there's monthly subscription plans that you can have with Range. Their, their Black Mountain locations first business m- membership came as a result of someone hearing about it through our podcast, which is nice. like the coolest feeling. We've had a bunch of cool feelings through the last year. That is probably the coolest feeling mm-hmm. so far. And I think that makes you officially professionals. <laughs> I'd like to just say congratulations and thank you very much for, for hosting me on on a very professional podcast. Yeah, we well, I mean, it's not from... Well, it last... feels that way anyway, so you, you should know. But Thank I just you. mean, you know, yeah. it's like you're officially an influencer now or something like that, right? Uh, uh, we're, we're waiting for the plaque to come in from Instagram <laughs> and, and all of that. But we're thank you. I mean, there's, I think, and this is something that I'm just imagining was true from those early customers of you looking into the eyes of a 22-year-old. We have taken this very seriously, the podcasting thing and th- there are ways to do it that are less serious and i think that there's something powerful that happens across either a computer screen or across a table from someone where they know that you're very serious about what it is that you're doing uh, and sometimes that is the propellant that allows the thing to happen and so i i see this kind of initiative and 
uh, I don't know, if, if you had known how hard it would have been, maybe you wouldn't have done it back then or if you would do it again. But back then you were so in that it almost had to happen and someone was going to say yes if you took enough at-bats. I'm wondering about um, sales, the way that you sold ads or sponsorships or whatever the, the words you might use for um, the way Capital at Play made money. Were there any strategies that came out over time that were maybe different than how you started initially because uh, you realized that it's... Uh, it's better as a business person to sell a year's worth of subscription or ads or two years or lock them into a rate for multiple years than uh, this next publication. I'm wondering anything stand out sales wise. No, I mean, I can't think that there was, well, there was, I eventually I had a strategy, which was a big change. Um, I mean, truly like, but, but no, I mean, in terms of basic pricing structure and how to, how to create that, um, I don't think we ever really have never really changed it. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably not perfect, but I think it, it's worked. I mean, it's just like you would imagine, right? You charge people less for more of the same thing because you know you want to incentivize them to do that. And um, you know, aside from other subtle nuances, no. But the way that you go about selling, I mean, that's what I just described earlier about why people buy. Uh, you know, I wanted. To well, I went to school for marketing and international business, and so I wanted people to buy because I was selling them something that provided value, yeah. right? So I was going to make sure that I was better than anybody else out there, any other option in terms of price, placement, product, promotion. Like, wanted to make sure that I could tell them logically exactly why this was the right thing for them, and that's not really why people buy all the time, and yeah. so that's something you learn and you know makes you a little less type a plus plus in a sales meeting probably um but you know those kinds of things you know times a million are, the, are probably more of the lessons the, the things that influence the strategy over time yeah if that makes sense yeah for sure you hone that skill over time what about things that you've noticed from entrepreneurs that capital play has interviewed have you noticed that there is this sort of trend or um, same thing that, you know, all the businesses sort of have within them or, you know, most of them have within them? that you Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that this is the only one, nor is it probably prevalent at all, but I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are on this. I, I gave this thought at a presentation at the Collider like three or four years ago and I was followed by some guy who's from uh, he's like from Tel Aviv and Silicon Valley like splits his time you know I'm like thinking this is pretty sweet I'm like being considered to talk at the same time as this guy who's clearly got way better credentials and uh, he might have been like one of the only people to actually I think clap or anything to this thought but I think that entrepreneurs actually exhibit a lot of the same traits if, if I was a clinical psychologist as an addict probably and I think we you know I'm not trying to say that entrepreneurs are addicts I guess it's just a funny observation that we engage in and I'm sure you can relate to this in all kinds of self I don't know self-deprecating and detrimental behaviors right yeah. not just 
physically because you work long hours or don't eat right or you know whatever those kinds of things are, don't exercise, they also engage in things that are monetarily risky. Um, you know, but risky behavior in a lot of ways, you know, taking risks that, you know, could cause real problems for you or for your family, even have hallucinations. Um, it's just when you see something that nobody else has seen before. Right. And so I think that's kind of interesting. It requires a certain tenacity to, to get something off the ground. And so I think blind ambition goes a lot in there. Um, it's it's hard to pin down. In context, I could focus the thought a little more, but I think there's definitely different. Well, okay, actually, that's that's probably something that's verifiable um, statistically. I, I just finished an interesting book on venture capital called VC in American History, and had all these wonderful charts and a, a trait that you probably heard before. Uh, I didn't learn from this book necessarily, but it was echoed a lot. The person who's best suited to start a business is not necessarily the best person to run a business. Um, and so I think there's definitely some personality traits so that, that are different for someone who starts a business as someone who manages it. And, mm -hmm. um, I think people that do well are able to look at themselves and, and know where they can do well and not do well. Um, people that have to be at the central hub of everything are limited because uh, you can't do everything there's only so many hours in the day so at some point you either have to step aside and let someone else run it or focus on this or that um so i think it's just it is interesting um but i don't know if there's anything that i'd say they're generally positive you kind of have to be a positive person to do it but then again we're talking to people they're always positive you know when we talk to someone and interview them we have had people say like this sucked or that's terrible or we're going out of business, but by and large people are usually positive, but, uh, I guess they don't mind failing. The ones that are really interesting, the ones that I, I've learned the most from are the ones that don't worry about the past 10 things that have not worked. Yeah. They just get back up and keep trying again. So I don't know, call that resiliency or stupidity, but, there's a fine, yeah, I mean, there's look, a fine line. Yeah. Yeah. I know. How do you define the difference between these things? I mean, yeah. in one sense, you're, you know, hallucinating. On the other, you're, you're a visionary. Yeah. What's the difference? I, I think it's the, the scorecard at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Like, that's probably it. It's just, did you eventually get it right? If yes, visionary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's really not a huge difference. So I think that's probably helped me a lot to have a little more tolerance for just insanity in general because i'm just batshit crazy myself anyways and i think that you know you kind of find most people are if you get deep enough down the rabbit hole so it works yeah. right uh, I'm, I'm wondering we'll go back to the question that i prematurely posed are there any over the last decade or so stories that just kind of really stand out to you have have etched their place into your mind as you unearth something really powerful in this conversation they uh some important truth showed up or, or just for whatever reason, it was funny. It was great. But these conversations are very meaningful to you over the last 10 years. So many, it's hard to actually pin one of them down. Um, I think in general, there's a lot of power in a good open-ended question. Um, and asking something that might get more of a conceptual response than a specific tangible one. Uh, 
they're all very specific to an industry. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know that any of these are really things that come up in the article necessarily. Like we interviewed an individual who has a manufacturing operation and they're in a number of countries and I was asking what he was up to and how it was going. And he was talking about their new factory in Russia and he was saying, it's like, we're betting the farm. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. What do you mean? He's like, I don't know. I just find that every 10 years for us to stay as an industry leader, just like at least three decades now, we just have to kind of lay it all on the line for something. And I'm doing that again. I don't know why, but we're doing that. I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. So, you know, those kind of tolerances for, because risk, right? I mean, that's the, the prevailing theme between all of them and all the people that we have profiled is that there's an element of risk, monetary risk. They're all entrepreneurs in the private sector. And so risk tolerance and yeah, risk tolerance is probably a really big one and how people are okay with risk or calculated risk. And I think that's really fascinating, right? Cause if you, have no tolerance for risk, then starting your own business is really not a very good thing for you to try and do. Yeah. Um, and you can be surprised at people who you would think come from a background that wouldn't tolerate risk that can get out there and build amazing businesses. I mean, so it's not like you, you can't look at it and just see it right away. And I guess that actually is echoed from the work that, um, that I was doing with, uh, with CareFit, you know? They're, these guys look at companies and, and evaluate whether it's a, a company that can run or not. And, you, you know, you look at these things, it's not always obvious that, that it would or wouldn't work. Um, I think the risk is probably probably the most interesting one. It's a very American thing, our, our lack of sensitivity to risk compared to other cultures. You know, we're happy to try the GMO or whatever it is. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying me, you know, sure. we live in Asheville. I mean, they're yeah. probably torches and pitchforks, right? But uh, I just think in general, we're more comfortable with risk. And that's really interesting for what it means to capitalism and to other, other things that relate to that. Yeah, I think that's a really astute observation, particularly the difference between other countries and how, how people you know, evaluate thing. And on the one hand, some people say, oh, Americans, they don't know how to save. They don't know how to uh, put money away for another time. But on the other hand, then we, you know, as you kind of pointed out, we have perhaps this um, ability to have blind ambition and say, I can, I can do this, you know, because it's the American dream or, you know, however you want to put it. Um, no, that's exactly that's right. Interesting. Yeah. We're pioneers as, yeah. as a culture, right? I mean, yeah. people came here to go someplace new, to try something new, to do something new, something right. that someone right. else, no one else had tried. And so, uh, I mean, that's in the founding element of the mission statement of the magazine. Like we want to do, the, we profile the people who take risk and the people who support them to inspire others to go and do likewise. Mm -hmm. Love it. Uh, that's definitely a part of the inspiration for me to do this was to try and share with other people that actually everyone does everything that they do for the first time from a place of ignorance. And over time you build knowledge and experience and you clean it up as you go, but you have to start. Uh, actually, and that relates to an article I was reading in, um, 
in the Wall Street Journal of all places about the class of 2020. Mm. And the overall point was don't wait. Like it's not going to look like what you want it to look like. It's not going to be the job you thought you were going to get. But the most important thing is to get on the train and go. Get on the train and start moving. And that's probably the other I mean, that relates to everything we've been talking about, about these, you know, what, what makes an entrepreneur successful in any sense is like they just keep moving, you know, mm-hmm. don't stop, get back up and, and keep trying. And I think that would probably you you would see this and you probably these kinds of people, like if you wanted to do something, who cares if it's you know getting a job at a company where you're like the janitor, you know, give you a couple years, you'll be in there, you'll be showing up at meetings, you know, you can you can find a way in. And that's the most important part. So just start and, yeah. and do something, you know, and that's, I think, I think that's a big part of it, too. Yeah. Well, speaking of, I guess, starting and then finding your way in. So, you know, we talked a lot about how you started Capital Outplay um, and sort of got it off the ground running. But how have you seen it change and evolve over the past 10 years? Um, and, and particularly thinking about challenges that you faced or big successes or big uh, improvements that were made over time? Well, I think the one that's probably the most evident to me is that it's not about the medium, which is just to bring it to where we started the conversation. I mean, we do, we're, we're talking about business content and entrepreneurship and it's really doesn't matter whether it's in print or whether it's um, in a video or a podcast or wherever it is. Like that's that's what we're trying to do is just continue to serve our audience here in more ways that work for them. And yeah, I think that's probably shaped a lot of uh, a lot of my thinking around content in general. You know, kind of breaking down a lot of those barriers and just seeing it for what it is. Right? It's an idea. Um, it's it's just a, a tidbit. Uh, of wisdom or a, of something interesting or entertaining. And actually that this, I've just been writing my first column for capital of play on content and storytelling and you know, breaking that down, right. Separating out the, the media, the idea for the content from the medium that you want to put that idea into, to the channel that you want to distribute it with each one of those pieces has to be separated so you can understand what's affecting your success or lack thereof. Right. So, so how do you think about content and storytelling, um, and, and structuring, you know, what goes into each magazine? Well, this, uh, that's a fantastic question. Mm -hmm. It relates to something we talked about, right? Uh, I think you said it differently, but I would say everybody's in publishing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really obvious now. I mean, even Facebook doesn't want to call themselves a publisher, but when they're dragged into Congress under a subpoena, they will say we are a publisher mm-hmm. and every business that uses a social media platform is a publisher. Everybody that has an email newsletter is a publisher. So, uh, the ways in which businesses people use stories to connect with people and have forever. Ever. Uh, so companies are learning how to do the same thing. It's easy for people to do because it all happens in one head. So it's really tough for companies to do that because there's a lot of people that have to agree and things get really out of whack by the time you start with an idea and then take it to something that's supposed to go out the door. So uh, I, I see that as a lot of opportunity. I mean, but that's the funny thing about publishing is that you could talk about 
print being a dying medium or something like that, but everybody is in publishing now. There's so much content out there and finding good ways to use it and I guess use it effectively as a company is uh, something everybody's dealing with. So yeah. kind of fast just to watch what, what and do to you find th- ways to be a part of it. Sure. What do you think is you know the difference maker between a company telling a good story and a company telling an okay story? Two things, context and authenticity. Hmm. Authenticity is really related to credibility too. So they're kind of linked, but yeah, I think, I think those are the, if I was to put just a couple specific words on it. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. You can tell when people are playing uh, patty cake on a platform because they kind of feel like they need to be there versus, um, you know, telling true stories, honestly, with amazing context. Uh, and then all of a sudden you, you, it's just it's a as a consumer of the medium you can just see it it's you i i think that's a great answer it's it's hard to pin down so like how how does one be or become authentic hard to say um but i don't think that your first post on uh instagram is going to be that authentic there will not necessarily be too much of a um a voice, like a, a powerful, concise and clear voice in post one. But I think it's, uh, I think that brand and authenticity with context happens over time, channel by channel content by piece of content. Am I, yeah, am I right so. and wrong on that? Like you can't, I don't think you can just like dump a, uh, totally. a first thing and say, this is us. Yeah, it's a no, I agree. And I think, I think it's also, I mean, just as we are right now, there's three of us talking about it and each person brings different ideas and thoughts to every single thing. Even if we could describe exactly what we were trying to talk about yeah. right now, we're all going to talk about it differently. And you know, that kind of, I, I guess a lot of it, you, you said it well, and you said the, it's obvious to the listener. Yeah. And if the listener is not put first it all falls apart and that actually gets back to the magazine well which is if the content isn't any good then people won't read it and if people won't read it or pay attention to it the advertisers have no interest in advertising and then there's no revenue and there's no reason to support it or do any of this and so i used to say you can't buy our coolness right like you can't buy an article because we have we have a very specific person we need to pay homage to with that. And it's the person who's digesting it. Right? If they're not actually going to enjoy it, this is all for naught. So that's probably right. I mean, if, if you've got a, a company that's trying to get someone to click on a button to buy a product, if they're more focused on getting them, I mean, that's the reason they're doing it is to get them to, to buy this thing. I mean, that's the reason the machine exists to do that. But if, they try and shovel content out the door that no one wants to read just yeah. thinking that they check the box of an email newsletter and it doesn't do what they want it to do. It's like, well, would, would you have read that? Yeah. I know that you wrote it and that you wanted to talk and fill all the space like paragraphs and paragraphs, but right. Like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. There's a difference between mm-hmm. our revenue and the audience. Like, uh, writing something that is powerful to the reader or uh, recording something that's powerful to the listener and just the act of creating. I think that that is uh, often 
misunderstood when we look at people's websites and and do kind of voice analysis and brand analysis on someone's website the number one culprit that we find to be bad communication strategy is a i focused website where it's like me 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 here's more about me did you hear this about me or us 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 here's us this brand um and not it's not focused on the reader and why they're there and why it's good to have them because this is the place for them. Uh, that distinction is a huge, huge difference maker, I think in businesses and you, you pinned it perfectly. Well, it's, it, it's like, just like you said, well, okay, sorry, my brain just went like three different directions, but a relationship, a story requires a relationship. And for that relationship to work, you have to understand what your audience actually wants to listen to. Right. If you have a bunch of stuff you want to talk about and they have a bunch of stuff that they want to learn about, only the part where they overlap is the part that's relevant to talk about. Everything extra is shit in the way. Obviously, they don't want to hear everything I have to know about something, so I shouldn't try and tell them all of it. And they're only trying to learn one little piece. So I don't know. It's, yeah. uh, you, you can almost get to a place where it's like a little hard to listen to people sometimes just because – there's so much extra stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, thank you listener. Uh, this is a quick little shout out for making it this far in the episode. Uh, and so what we'll so, say as we, as we transition <laughs> now to some of the lessons learned, um, over the years in, into what are we taking forward? Right. So, um, you're now, uh, I'd say in the newest frontier of capital at play, uh, kind of timestamp were in the middle of a very weird time in, a, in the world history um, but what do you see as you look ahead in 2020 and beyond for Capital at Play and for yourself? Well, I think the magazine is given this great opportunity um, with the everything that's going on. Um, and that's probably just a glasses half full perspective, right? I mean, to, to our prior points, there's a pretty fine line between opportunity and, and disaster. But um it's a great opportunity because a lot of people are actually engaging in things digitally and in different ways and different mediums. So this is an opportunity for us to expand those mediums and find new distribution channels and talk about people, uh, talk, talk with people in a, in a different way. And so I'm kind of excited for that. I mean, that's just fun to watch. And, you know, I, I'm not the guy we're talking about. There's two types of people. I'm really not as much of the person to run Something to crank the machine, I prefer to build the machine. So I like to take an idea and turn it into revenue and profitable revenue and see all that work. Because just like you know, you can put a podcast together, a piece of content together, but how people engage with that is outside your control. So that's really fun. Like that's always entertaining to me to put an idea out there and then see what people do with it because it's never going to be exactly what you thought. And then you have to pivot and change and tweak the machine and all that kind of stuff. So that's a lot of fun for the magazine. And I also just think that since people are doing more things digitally now, the storytelling element of content and what content can do for a company is more and more and more relevant. And so uh, that's where I'm interested in myself is, is really finding more ways to help specific companies grow what they're doing because of this opportunity in which people are changing their engagement behavior, right? Like we've all found that we're, I, I was never a online grocery shopper. I've become one 
and I'm not going back. Like, I mean, I love to go pick out produce and go to the farmer's market and that sort of thing because I love to cook and I, I like all of the sensory parts of that. But at the same time, my daughter consumes an egregious amount of milk and I don't need to go to the store to buy it every time and I'm not going to go back to that. And so that means they have to find new ways to, to sell me new things, new products. I mean, that's just the marketer in me and maybe the fat kid. Uh, anytime there's like a new brand of chips, like I want to try it, you know, but like, how do you sell me a new brand of chips now? I don't, I'm not walking down the aisle to get exposed to it. And I mean, that's just a really easy example. I tend to prefer more complicated problems just because the person you're selling to or working with, the, the listener you're engaging with is usually a little more intelligent if you're dealing with a more complicated product or a more expensive product. So I like that kind of stuff. But you get the idea, right? There's all This is what you all do. You help people connect and engage in these platforms. And there's more and more people using these platforms and these mediums. So... If I've spent the last 10 years learning about how to be a publisher, uh, it's pretty sweet to find myself in a world where everyone is a publisher. Heard. Yeah, we're, uh, the language that we used, and you pointed to it earlier, is a, everyone's a media company. And so everyone's, everyone's yeah. a publisher, everyone's a media company. Um, we found that the, the biggest opportunities in my life that have shown up in the last decade are the result of consistently treating myself like a media company and then in the moments where I had the least opportunities or options and like escape hatches available <laughs> I was the least media company like I was not publishing consistently I think that uh, the braille of the trail of breadcrumbs that you can leave by showing your work telling where you are in your phase of your journey uh, is it is can be the biggest door opener. Um, and at least we, that's how we've experienced things. This podcast, A, has not created a large amount of revenue standalone, like through advertising, but every single cool thing that's happened to us in the last year is the result of us being a media company. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, if I'm, and I don't want to get too fine of a point for it if you don't want to talk about it, but I mean, that's the idea with the podcast, right? You're putting out good content so that people can understand you know how to put out good content and you can help them with that same thing. I've continuously found myself getting drug into projects because of that same thing. It's like, well, you know how to do that. So can you help us do that? But for this other purpose. Yep. And so I think that's a brilliant reason to have a podcast to, to do what you're doing. It makes it's a lot a, of sense. It's a show don't tell kind of maneuver. And I, yep. uh, I love that. I think that that is uh, a very astute observation on your point of saying, the media in the future and and consumer habits in the future are now all of a sudden media today and consumer habits today. So how do how do the smartest businesses show up and changed and play kind of around the bend in the future today? And um, it's a I once went to I mentioned it in a past episode I think, but I once went to a Inc conference um, and it was. Uh, the the keynote speaker was the CEO and I can't remember his name of of Life is Good and his keynote was that or one of the steps in his keynote was that optimism is a pragmatic choice as a entrepreneur. It 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 is not just that the glass is half full and that's how you're wired. It is a logic based decision to show oh, up yeah. that way 
because you see opportunity when you look for it uh, and you you can find scape like uh, alternate routes around the obstacle or over the obstacle or under the obstacle when you show up with this optimistic pragmatic uh, view I absolutely um, sorry I don't mean to have such a stupid grin I I'm absolutely with you. Problem solving is at the heart of it. And it's not about the hundred ways not to do something. It's about the one way that makes it work. Uh, I don't know if you're a skier or anything like that, but you can't ski through the trees. If you look at the trees, you have to look at the spaces between the trees. It's I mean, I don't know why, but that's what you have to do. And, uh, it's exactly, it's, it's a pragmatic situation. You just like, I can choose to be both of these two things, let's let's try let's try to be happy about it because we can't change it right it's like that's just the only way to be uh and i was was the the first smile came because i was thinking of this bit that jerry seinfeld does he's like if your body was a car you wouldn't buy it right it's just too much maintenance it's too much work everything required i mean it's like all this stuff everything that it takes to, to like live is just so much damn work and you know it sort of like makes me think when people say these are the best years of your life like, well, when do those end? Because I'll check out them. Like, it's not worth doing all of this stuff otherwise, right? Like, it, it's just, I don't know. There's so many reasons why that's an, a must, just from a logical perspective. I'm so with you. Yeah. I'd love to ask you some Asheville-based questions now. And the, sure. And the first Asheville-based question uh, is, in a, in a post-coronavirus or pre-coronavirus world, what would like a, a friends coming into town weekend look like to you? What what kind of things would be must we got to go to this place or check out this place? And I know because you are very empathetic and thoughtful, the answer is going to be, well, it depends on who is visiting. And to which we say, cool, choose someone and just tell us what a weekend would look like with that type of person. Well, can you give me some context? Yeah, I'm like, from here. Uh, so most so, friends that I have are going to be people that are like from here, Perfect. but so is I do it, have friends from elsewhere. So there you go. friends see. from out of town who are like, Hey, finally check in this box. We um, we're on our way to Asheville. Uh, do you have recommendations or, uh, when can I see you? Where would we meet? Yeah. I literally have a shared notes with my wife and, uh, and a, a good friend and coworker, Bonnie, um, with visitor ideas, like just to not have, like we literally just throw in things when they're on there. So, you know, on my top visitor, I actually, God, I got to have to revise this. Some of these, (laughs) okay. I'm not going to read off of it because that's terrible, but I literally just have a list of ideas and food and drink places just because there's so many good ones that it's hard to necessarily pick. But my best days are always ones that involve really good, exercise and really good food. Um, it's actually a bummer that I think we're so spoiled here with our wonderful local supply chains of food. You don't realize you go elsewhere that people will like brag about all this stuff. I'm like, that was just food. That wasn't anything amazing. That was just good food, right? Like I got it. Like, no, no offense, but you know, you get so spoiled around here. Um, so usually someone comes into town, we'd love to have a good meal do some cooking or go out to eat somewhere nice. Um, I like to tie one on as much as the next 33 year old and, um, I'm probably overdue for one of those. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sitting by a fire, I, I think I can, I'll, I'll do this. The, the cliche 
quote that I like to drop, uh, the happiest times my heart knows are those in which it is pouring forth its greatest affections to a few esteemed characters. Hmm. And that's pretty much it. I like to sit around and talk about ideas and talk about whatever I'm doing or whatever other people are doing because problem solving and, you know, business and all that stuff, it's just fun. It's like the topic right now is what's with all this behavioral change, right? Anytime you have a disruption like what we're going through, obviously it's a disaster for the economy financially, but businesses will continue to exist and people will come up with new ideas. So what are those ideas? You know, what is, what does this mean? And how can, how can we think through that to find a, find a business idea? Um, these are not, this is not my way of breaking it down, but the best way that I've learned to break it down is what's a market opportunity that's out there. And then what are the challenges to overcoming you know, to, to get to that opportunity and, and how do you, how do you solve that problem to then package it up into a product or service to do something with, right? What does that look like start to finish? Um, so that's probably it right now. I mean, just trying to watch and see and be out there and think and. Yeah. I love that entrepreneur's mind. My favorite thing to do is go get good food and a drink and create market opportunities like that's, <laughs> that's so i mean that's so but that's I funny it. i mean that's i feel that's like we dream. talk a lot yeah. of we you know we own a business together and we live together and we're husband and wife and it's can be intense sometimes but i i do find that we we love talking about our business we love talking about like new ideas and concepts so and and the and the yeah. relative your business whoever that person is sure. or your passion whoever that person is, uh, and having people around a table, there's a, there's a thing that I've heard. I want to say it was from a, maybe Tim Ferriss's book, but, um, the idea that the, there is a strong correlation, can't call it causation between people who have multiple hour meals and their frequency that they have these multiple hour long meals, um, and the quality of their life, like life expectancy and, um, stress and all of the like positive and negative uh, health indicators are correlated with the frequency with which you have like two or three hour meals with friends and, and acquaintances and family members. Um, and so that is something that we too hold in high esteem is that uh, nowhere to go. Let's just talk place around a yeah. fire would be a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. I saw this quote uh, about a year ago, and it, it rang so true. And uh, now I just kind of laugh when I think about it from time to time, depending on who I'm talking with and what I'm talking about. And I, I'm not saying laughing, like looking down, because I certainly like, well, let me just tell you the quote, so let's all have to make sense. But it was something like, strong minds discuss ideas, um, mm-hmm. Mediocre minds discuss events and weak minds discuss people or something like that. And it was attributed to Socrates, right? And it is totally true because to talk and gossip about people is super easy, does not take a lot of – it's a cheap thrill. Um, and, you know, one that doesn't really they, – they have their hangovers. So, you know, it's suffice to say not the best kind of content you can digest on the day-to-day. Events are a little more tricky, but there's context and there's a good story and you can talk about that kind of stuff. But ideas – I really know, like I, 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 the the best friends in my life are the ones that I can just talk about ideas with. Anything from like, why is a doorknob designed like this, and what does that mean? Like, how do you interact with it, and you know, what do you like about that, and the 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 feel and the sound and all that stuff. You just talk about whatever. Like, it shouldn't matter because you can break it all down, and and it's just fun. And 
that's what I end up doing with um, my closest friends. I'll, you know, talk one one buddy who's the best man in my wedding. Uh, we talk every day almost, and it's always just some idea. He, he has an electronic recycling company, and so there's like all kinds of ideas always going about this problem or that problem or whatever it is. It's yeah. just I don't know, problems or opportunities because they're fun to solve. And maybe that's the cheap thrill is that it's fun to have a good solution and to see it implemented. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're, that's definitely an astute observation. Um, we have this kind of <laughs> standard question that we ask everyone at the end of every interview, which is uh, if we had a magic wand or somebody in our audience had a magic wand, uh, what one thing would you ask for in this moment? Hmm. I mean, are we talking like could end Corona right now kind of thing? I mean, like you're, you're welcome you know, I, to I that. I feel like that's that's I don't know. Does that really answer the question? Because I mean, that's like world peace, right? I mean, that's great. Um, I mean, I would love that. All those things would be wonderful, but. Maybe we wouldn't learn anything by it, and maybe that's just not a really fair answer to you. I mean, right now, 1.30 on Friday, I would really like for Foothills Meats to be open so that I could go get the Foothills Burger. It's two patties. It's, it's just fantastic. And, and their fries are cooked in tallow, which is beef fat, mm -hmm. and... Man, that would be sweet right now. They're not open. Um, you know, that or like a whole donut. But, I mean, that's just in the food category, you know? So, I, those uh, are great but answers. But it's 1.30 on a Friday. Yeah. We feel you. We're hungry. Yeah. So, um, I It's just, I don't know. <laughs> what, what about you? What would, your, what, would you, what would you have right now? I mean, maybe it'd be like a million listeners. I don't know. Yeah. Distribution. No. Um, I, honestly, my, my immediate right now moment is a food answer. Um, it would it be a burger? I don't know. I do love burgers. Maybe like a yoki, uh, burger with a Hawaiian patty or a, a potato roll top. Um, something something accessible. I think that there's a couple different types of burgers, and uh, two of the three are like inaccessible. Like you're not making this burger at home. But then there's this type of burger which is like on a Martin's potato roll. Uh, and it just, it feels like this could have happened on a grill in a backyard, but it's just somehow better than you've ever had on a grill in a backyard. That type of burger would make me very happy right now. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so like that's, if there's something that gets me through like days, you can ask people that know me. I have like lunch spots. Like I love a really, I mean, and it maybe it goes back to like starting the magazine when you have like a really crappy day like you go see three people no one buys like this other thing that was supposed to happen didn't happen and i don't know like just for whatever reason it's a wednesday and you haven't talked to anybody in like two days and i just go see like two movies like just f it let's yeah. try again tomorrow i don't know and a good meal is the same kind of thing so to go and have this special thing that's totally it's not permanent and that's what's so amazing about it, right? Like minute by minute, it's changing. And so to just get it at right, the right time, um, I'd sound like I would be a nightmare guest at a restaurant. <laughs> no. It just makes me so happy. I, yeah, I, right. I call it my happy meal, to go and get a happy meal. Yeah. Like not an actual McDonald's happy meal, but a meal mm -hmm. that makes me happy because it is the everything I need is yeah. just the yeah. best. 
And when you have your spot too, like you, or you have your, you said you had your lunch spots, you know, those places that you rely on. And then like when you are having that crappy day, you just, you know that that's going to be good. Yeah. And so there's, there's just happiness even thinking about it. I think that. Yeah. Sort of... Yeah. Heard. And I love that you call it a happy meal. I will almost when moments like that. I'll say, this is my happy place. Yeah. a la Peter Pan but in that moment it is also true this is uh, my happy meal I love that um, are there any other questions other than where in the world wide web do we find Obi where in the world wide web will our listeners connect with you and get to follow more of your story that's a damn good question um, well this seems like an appropriate place to mention that I have a podcast. I think you all know that um, we're going to be launching in the next couple of weeks. So look for that in Capital of Play's newsletter. Uh, so you can go to capitalplay.com and sign up for that and hear whether or not I'm a horrific flop or something mildly entertaining to digest. It'll be super short. Um, <laughs> and you'll be, you'll be the host of this podcast, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Not doing, you know, just trying to go where you've already gone, essentially, um, in terms of, you know, sounding like I'm professional ish. Um, thankfully, we've got a little help on that. But ultimately, that would be one place. Um, anybody can email me at any time at OBY at capital at play dot com. And um, I don't know, I guess it's, it's, a, it's such a funny thing. My chamber board seat is is winding down um i don't know i'm looking for new things so just stay tuned i'm yeah. working on some, some new projects and uh looking for interesting opportunity which is like this is such a good time to do it it's funny yeah. it was like almost the same place a decade ago that i was doing this as well i was like okay let's run it back somehow <laughs> this is my timing as we, we start things when they're at the bottom yeah. so you know that's that's about it i, I wish i had a more inspirational answer honestly um maybe we should get a burger sometime and, and discuss these things i don't know look forward to that yeah. burger uh i'm gonna go ahead and I, this is my assumption are you on linkedin i feel like linkedin would be a good place to connect with you but i might be wrong oh no linkedin is a great place and actually because i've been working on writing and i mean this is such a, a bizarre time but it is a fun time to like learn a lot of new things yeah. so i'm working on learning and writing and, and all this sort of thing um so I've got a column that'll start in uh, in Capital at Play next. What month is it? Jesus, it's May. It's, it's mid May. Yeah. So in the June edition, mm -hmm. uh, if they decide to run it, and I'm going to publish that on LinkedIn, and it's on storytelling and why that's not just a marketer's gobbledygook. And um, yeah, LinkedIn's a great place to do that. Thank you. Yeah. That's so much easier than a, an email. God. Well, no, I, I email email for direct follow along LinkedIn. I, I just I. For whatever reason, I feel my my gut says that like uh, I should spend twenty to thirty minutes like scouring your LinkedIn connections and just being like, oh wow, oh who knew that? Okay, that's cool. Uh, that's just I don't I, think you I, can. I, no, I hate to say it. I, I have those turned off. Okay, well bummer. Maybe you can see them. I don't know if you can see them or not. It's a great question. Um, but tell me what you find. Cool. I'll, I'll let you know because that's one of my ways. Uh, and this is, this is the last little nugget in today's episode, I think. Uh, but one of my ways of attempting to create connection and depth in, uh, in new business relationships is f attempting to force serendipity by spending a little bit of time on someone's LinkedIn or whatever channel is like a good, 
reference for who they are and where they've been and what they've done. Um, and so I was going to, you know, when we, by the time we have our next burger, I was going to do a little audit of your, of your Dude, LinkedIn to, to create some serendipities. Check it out, man. I actually need to go back and look. And I think LinkedIn's brilliant because they give people the most organic exposure right now anyways. But, um, I had to wipe all this stuff. You can't have, when I was doing uh, work with the investment bank, they, yeah. you can't have endorsements. So I had to wipe all the endorsements away, which sucks. Mm. I mean, not that I really had any endorsements that were meaningful. It'd be like, you know, endorsed for knowing a good burger joint, but yeah. still, you know, yeah. proficient in Excel. My... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, I would right. go to for data entry. Why yeah. does LinkedIn ask me who I would go to for data entry? <laughs> that seems like the biggest waste of everyone's time. Alas, LinkedIn is a good channel for organic exposure. We completely agree there. Um, Obi, thank you so much for your time this Friday afternoon. Here's to that burger that you're dreaming of. Uh, and here's to world peace and, and all that other fluffy stuff as well. Well, thank you so much for having me. And that was episode 56 with Obi Morgan of Capital at Play. And we said it in the beginning of the episode, but that story is so inspiring to see the growth over 10 years uh, from idea to institution locally. I mean, it's I hope that after hearing this, you are thinking about yourself and your business as a media company or as a publisher. Telling stories is such a strong way to build a brand, to grow sales, to build a relationship with your clients and customers. Uh, please, 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 if there's a single soundbite that stands out, consider yourself a publisher. And there was lots of great information in this episode. If you want to learn more about Obi, you want to connect uh, with him, or you want to learn more about anything that we talked about, like books, links, concepts, et cetera, we have everything listed on our show notes page at makingitinnashville.com forward slash 056. And if you liked this episode, we ask with a very deep bow of appreciation that you please go to uh, Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review or a quick uh, written review to let the world know. Those reviews mean so much in helping this podcast get found by other people, get uh, our audience and our guests' stories told. And so for that, we are very thankful um, for your reviews. And also don't forget to subscribe. You can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player, as well as subscribe to our newsletter, which is where we announce new episodes, behind the scenes information. Uh, it's where we announce our events and new products, etc. It's the first to hear about it. Uh, you can learn all the ways to subscribe on makingitinashville.com forward slash subscribe. Perfect. And one more time, we want to give a huge shout out and thank you to our season sponsor, Range Urgent Care. Again, there are so many reasons why we are grateful and uh, pleased to uh, share the story of Range as a local business that's doing things fundamentally different in their space. Range is a walk-in urgent care clinic. Uh, primarily, you're going to use Range by uh, either virtual visits or, uh, you know, online scheduling. So a lot of the 
I would say horrible, but the bad parts of urgent care has, has been fixed in the range model. The biggest bad part that I've experienced in years past has been pricing, not knowing how much it's going to cost, being afraid of medical service because you don't know if you can afford it with range. That is not the case. You're either going to spend $149 each visit or you'll have a subscription plan where you might pay, if you're a single person, $30 a month. If you're a family, more businesses, more. Um, we have an incredible uh, special, a promotion that Range has created exclusively for you a Making It in Asheville podcast listener. If you go to makingitinashville.com forward slash range, uh, there will be links to their annual subscription plans. Uh, and because you listen to this podcast, you get your first month free on any of the subscriptions. So one more time, makingitinashville.com forward slash range to, um, to learn more. And we'd also like to take a moment just to let you know that this podcast is sponsored and powered by our very own marketing agency, Making It Creative. Uh, Tony and I founded Making It Creative when we first moved to Asheville. And our biggest goal and, and what we try to do with all of our clients is to understand what is the biggest lever that we can pull marketing wise to connect better with their audience to grow their audience and to convert them into customers and so that ends up looking like a whole bunch of different things from email marketing to rewriting copy on your website or on your marketing materials to social media to content creation yeah, and to really working depends. strategically on sales and sales yes. messaging and what is your sales process and a level above or below depending on how you think about triangles uh, we think about brand and just like what story are you telling on an absolute level and which parts are most important so if you're interested in hearing more about our business that supports this podcast please visit makingitcreative.com and lastly if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast we're always looking for a new guest uh, you can nominate them at makingitinashville.com forward slash podcast we have a form there that you can fill out with more information about you or the guests that you'd like to nominate and also please 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 join us for our monthly monday maker mixer uh, that is a social networking event Currently, right now, we are in the middle of a pandemic, so this event is taking place virtually online. However, before and after all of this is over, they will take place in person. Anyways, we'd love to meet you. We'd love to get to know you and um, see your face one way or another. And the way to find out about those events is going to be by joining and participating on our email list. And you can get on that email list all over the place on the website, but making it in Asheville.com forward slash subscribe is our catch all for all of the places you can hang out with us. At least we forget to mention YouTube where, uh, that is our newest and I guess say most exciting new platform. We video, uh, these interviews now and video ourselves on the intro and outro. So if you're watching on YouTube, high five to you. If you're listening on the podcast, thank you. Check out the YouTube channel and Sarah, that was episode 56. High five. Cool.